This is Pulse of the Pack. There's Bledsoe. Down he goes. And there's Reggie White. White. And that's that hump move. Reggie's coming again. That's Reggie White. Reggie White's going to take over this game right now. Begins the count. Takes the snap. He has the quarterback. He's going to get the That video never ceases to make me smile. Um, <laughs> it's it's one of those. It's really strange because that Packers team didn't even make the playoffs. But just the idea that there was a little bit of magic left at Lambeau Field on that given day. So, thank you everybody and welcome aboard to our Sunday show. I am your host today. I am Jacob Westendorf. I am joined by Jason Perone as always, but you guys don't care about us at this point. You know who's here. You know why we're here. Paul is not here, which makes us sad, but we upgraded. And that wasn't too hard to do, but we were able to upgrade with the great Michelle Bruton, our original first guest we ever had on this show. Gosh, probably five, six years ago at this point. Now, Michelle, we just mentioned the first time that we're doing video. Uh, and <laughs> thank you. You said that wasn't exactly thrilling for you. So thank you for toughing that one out and uh, rearranging your bookshelf or not. We'll keep that a secret. Uh, to Never join know. Thank you. No, thank you guys for having me. I, I don't think I realized that I was the OG guest. So this is quite, and this, this is the first time the show has been video, period. Oh no, we did oh, that's my that. first time. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we did a little bit last year. This is our fifth show, I think, with this particular platform. So it's been a lot of fun. Uh, Justin Backwards says he's excited and that Michelle is awesome. So we agree. That's why she's here. Uh, let's get rolling, guys. We've got training camp and everything going on, obviously, here. But Michelle, it's been a little while since we've talked. And you mentioned before that you've done some stuff for the Packers wire and you did some stuff for the draft wire. Uh, so I want to go back in time a little bit since we haven't talked since the question, everybody wants to know, what are your thoughts on Jordan love as that pick is made green Bay's on the clock. Uh, they were not on the clock. They trade up. Are you thinking there's any chance they go quarterback? Did you think there was a chance going into that night that they would go quarterback? Well, there's, I guess, a segment of Packers Twitter that would blame me for the Jordan love pick just period because maybe like three picks before, you know, we'd all been chatting about like who they would go with. And I just sort of, you know, just like literally half joking was like, watch it be Jordan Love. And then it was, and people was. were, you know, and I, I jinxed it and it was this horrible thing. And oh my God, and I, you know, it was, I would say that at this point, and this draft obviously was, was already so bizarre, but I would say at this point that it's been a long time since I've, you know, the shock, value of the draft I think wears off after a while like it's it's hard and that's probably honestly as genuinely shocked as I've been maybe since Aaron Rodgers like and that's right because that quarterback is always the most important position in the draft um when it's your team taking one so yeah I you know even though I like called it and was blamed maybe for for uh jinxing it um I was I was shocked shocked is definitely a good word to put that and uh 
I, I think it's funny you say the shock value wears off because Jason and I have virtually watched the last two drafts together <laughs> and <laughs> each of their first first round picks because Packers obviously had two the year prior. So Rashawn Gary and Jordan Love both were stunned silence. So it's okay. kind of crazy that mm-hmm. you're saying the shock value wears off on that because I don't think and I don't know, but I don't think a lot of people had Rashawn Gary pegged to the Packers uh, before that pick was made either. Yeah, I think that's fair, but I think I guess I'll make a distinction between surprise and shock. Because surprise is like, huh, that's not who I thought, or like it's a position I thought, but not the player I thought. But I don't like, let alone no one having Jordan Love in there, you know, on their draft board. I don't think anyone had quarterback in the first round. So like, truly, just out of left field. Yeah, and there well, there were uh, there were some whispers. I mean, there were some whispers out there about Jordan Love and eventually the Packers having to move on from Aaron Rodgers. And, and they that, liked him a lot. Yeah. And there was, and that's, that's popular with some. And then with other factions of the fan base, obviously you have the the litany of those that don't want to ever think about the day that Aaron Rodgers isn't playing quarterback for the Packers. And for those of you who saw video that came out of practice today, Jordan Love missed the net. Aaron Rodgers hit the net. So old man is showing the young buck, how it's done in the NFL. But so since it's been a while, cause I honestly think if I'm, if I'm thinking back and I'm accurate here, Michelle, the last time I remember us talking, I was still living in Minnesota, which was like 2016. And we had the fun conversation about the Packers potentially pursuing Matt Forte. That's how long ago that was. Right. I wasn't going to bring it up, but that, that was uh, the pun that will live in infamy. Yeah. Their forte. Right. Well, and that's, see, that's, that's, that's why we bring you on. That's why it's been way too long <laughs> since. So we have a lot to catch up on, but let's, let's expand a little bit. So take us back a year. Rashawn Gary, they drafted him last year. So, you know, what were you thinking when that happened? And and now the question with, with Gary is, we have some tape on him. We've seen him in game action, and clearly the Packers have high expectations. First of all, they drafted him very highly, used a, a lot of investment on him. They let Kyler Fackrell leave. Rashawn Gary is, is a big part of the plan on defense. Do you think that – do you feel confident that year two is going to look – I mean, he's in great shape coming into camp, that he is in year two going to look and be markedly better than he was last year? Yeah, and that, right, like, year two is, I almost feel like um, we just need to stop expecting anything from anyone in year one, right? Like, everyone gets so disappointed. Oh, my God, is this guy a bust? And, like, the conversation starts. And, yes, for a first-round pick, the hope is that you're going to get someone who you can plug and play day one, and they'll be great. But, like, that's just really not realistic. And I think if we adjusted our expectations and sort of realized that, like, once they've had a year in the system, year two is when it's fair to be, like, hey, this is your time, like, you've got to live up to your draft billing, you've got to produce. Um, so like I was saying with you guys, I, you know, I wasn't, I guess I would say I was surprised, not shocked when they drafted him, because that's a position that they've always loved. They've come up with these really creative packages for their rushers, you know, the NASCAR and, and everything. Um, they, I think, especially because they've been struggling on the inside, and, and now I think really they, what they need to do is beef up the defensive line. But they, I think they've always prized their outside rush as kind of their forte, if you will, uh, bring it back. Um, and they wanted to keep it strong. And I, I think that people always want teams to draft for deficits. But, you know, if you're a team that's always contending every year, you've got to keep your strengths a strength as well. And so 
you know, he's been obviously one of the people that we've been watching closely in training camp. And, you know, yesterday he uh, blows by Billy Turner and almost sacked Aaron Rodgers. And then uh, today he was all over in the red zone. He shut Aaron Rodgers down, I think, like three different times in the red zone. So from what we're seeing in camp so far, which, again, I am not one of those people who, you know, thinks training camp means anything about the regular season because they're playing. They're not playing against, you know, the NFL's best. But I'm really liking what I'm seeing from him. And because I believe firmly that you need to keep your strengths to strength, like I think, you know, I've, I had no qualms with the pick and I, you know, knock on wood, God far be it for me to jinx anything else. But I think that they're going to be pleased with, you know, what they invested in him come five years down the road. Yeah, we had a story written over at Packer Report uh, last year after they took Rashawn Gary and Jacob Morley basically broke down categories and size and strength and speed and all this stuff that Mike Patton prefers with his edges and mm -hmm. Rashawn Gary hits every single one of them in the top percentiles of his preferences. So it's one of those things that it was a surprise at the time, maybe to all of us, but it kind of felt like something that maybe should have been staring all of us in the face as well with that sort of pick. And, and I like what you said about keeping strength strengths and maybe not necessarily drafting for deficits because if you really look back on it, when Ted Thompson was at his best in Green Bay is when he was taking best available players. They didn't need a quarterback when they drafted Aaron Rodgers. They didn't need a receiver when they drafted Jordy Nelson. They didn't necessarily need a safety when they drafted Nick Collins. Later in his years, when he started trying to address needs in the draft is kind of when some of those, that's how you end up picking Demarius Randall and Quentin Rollins and some of these guys that haven't exactly worked out. One of a lot of reasons, obviously, that it goes right. that way. So. The draft overall is is interesting. Uh, it's always a, a crapshoot, I guess, is the proper term. And it's going to be uh, fun to see how that works with the, as of right now, limited college football season with the Big Ten and the Pac-12 not playing. And as of today, ACC, Big 12, and SEC are all slated, scheduled to play. We'll see if that actually takes place or not. But um, that'll make the draft even more fluky i guess if you will than anything else uh somebody else that i think we need to jump in on jason mentioned rashawn gary bill huber of uh si today said that he was an army of one in red zone period so i'm happy you brought that up and that's that's interesting because when we get to something a little bit later i think that that's kind of the uh the guy that i think they'll come to mind first one of people but the other one is josh jackson and as you guys can see i am all on the hype train again i have hidden <laughs> this jersey for two years because it hasn't gone that well. I bought this jersey after they drafted him. Uh, it's the first time maybe ever that they've drafted my draft crush. And uh, I bought this jersey. It's it's a really nice one. It's sewn on and everything. Um, and then it hasn't worked out for two seasons. So in those two years, I think the most interesting line that's come out today is Josh Jackson met with the media and said he's been working solely at outside corner and solely yeah. focused on cornerback. And that's interesting because just last year, Mike Patton said that they felt slot cornerback was his best position, which was met with a lot of, huh? When they said that, because he never really played it at Iowa, his skill, excuse me, his skill set and his deficiencies aren't really conducive to that of a slot cornerback. It kind of leads me to wonder like, what is the thought process that changed between year one and two to year three now where they're saying he's only playing outside corner and he's playing relatively well compared to camp. Is this a guy that you think could be one of those 
people that you mentioned, he hasn't lived up to his draft status last year. If you mentioned that year two leap, it, it didn't happen. Uh, he was on the bench for the majority of the season. Is this somebody that we could see as a bit of a late bloomer going into what is now his third year, kind of a make or break season for Josh Jackson? Yeah. And, and so, you know, kind of piggybacking on this idea that like we need to be more, I don't like the word forgiving because that feels like a value judgment. We need to be more patient about, you know, players in their first year. Well, if you're having players, you know, if you're moving them around to all different positions and messing with like what their role and responsibility is going to be, you're just, I mean, if, if they're really good at that, then you have a, a jack of all trades, you know, multi-purpose uh, with Swiss Army knife. I was like, what cliche am I trying to think of? Then you have a Swiss Army knife, which is great, but that's not always easy for a lot of players, especially a player who's in their first year. So I think, um, I want to give credit, I think it was Zach Jacobson on Twitter uh, shared this really interesting nugget, which was that um, as a rookie, Josh Jackson played over 67% of the Packers snaps. And then in 2019, he played less than 10% of the Packers snaps. And I think ultimately what it comes down to is he was expected to play all these different positions. And he, you know, the Packers have had so many, obviously we've mentioned, you know, Randall and, and Rollins, and we've had so many, we've seen so many players who, are kind of like either tweeners or they could be a safety or they could be a corner, they could play inside, they could play outside. And I think for a hot second, the Packers were, you know, really um, excited by the idea of kind of like getting a, a two for one deal. And it's just not how it works. You know, you need someone who, who specializes. And like I said, if, if they have those, um, you know, additional skills and, and you can use them as a Swiss Army knife, that's all the better. But I don't think you should be drafting guys Expecting them to do that for you. So with Josh Jackson, I don't even really think we can think of this as year three, like maybe year 2.5, you know, I think we have to see like, well, once he's given the luxury of kind of, if, if he truly does become like a perimeter corner specialist, um, what can he look like when a lot of that is taken off his plate and he's just allowed to like focus on really doing one job well. We have a question from, one of our favorites that's been with us for a long time, Justin backwards uh, wants to know what your thoughts are on Jerry gray and, and his influence on Josh Jackson. Any, any opinions yet on Jerry gray and the limited at little, little that we know about what he's done so far. Yeah. You know, I don't, um, I won't pretend that I have seen or, or know so much about Jerry gray's interactions with the defensive backs that I can speak to his influence. But I think, you know, as you guys, mentioned already, like last year, the company line we were hearing was that Patton, um, you know, really wanted to see Jackson playing out of the slot and, and Jackson had been playing all these different positions. And then, you know, with Jerry Gray, um, we're starting to now hear this kind of like conflicting information that he's always going to be on the perimeter. And so I suspect that Jerry Gray has sort of seen something in Josh Jackson that maybe either wasn't apparent before or that um, the rest of the defensive coaching staff just wasn't uh, catching or, or wasn't ready to believe. Um, and so if it, you know, if it turns out that, uh, Jackson just kills it as a perimeter corner and we can kind of trace that back to Jerry Gray as sort of like a defensive backs whisperer, like how incredible to take a player who you had really high hopes in and kind of like salvage his career by focusing him on the area that he, you know, can thrive in. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the the secondary as a whole, because I mean, obviously, you know, you're 
a, a pundit, I guess is the, to use a terrible term first and foremost, but you're also a fan of the team. And I think that you can understand over the last, you know, really since 2014, when the Packers had Sam Shields, Tremont Williams, Casey Hayward, uh, Devon House in his prime, you know, they had a really good secondary back then. You go all the way back to 2010 when they had Sam Shields, Tremont Williams, Charles Woodson, Nick Collins. That's the last time they had an elite secondary. And the word elite is thrown around, I think, a little too much. But Matt LaFleur has said it. The players have said it. And I think that it's it's a it's a group that doesn't lack for confidence. But you start talking about Jerry Gray and his influence on a guy like Jair Alexander and Kevin King, who is standing up to Devontae Adams at camp, and Josh Jackson, who's doing well, and Chandon Sullivan, who they haven't even blinked in terms of basically making him their starting slot corner and all the things that they could do with that. And then you add in guys like Smash and Darnell Savage on the back end. How close is this group to being an elite group? And what can that do for the entire defense when you add in the fact that, hey, not only do they have an elite secondary, but then you add in the Super Smith brothers and Kenny Clark and then emerging with Sean Gary. Right. And I'm, I'm so glad you brought up that last point because I think, right, it's all interconnected. Um, the first thing I think, you know, when you were talking about kind of the, the previous iterations of elite secondaries, um, the thing that obviously I think frustrated so many Packers fans in the last few years was that the Packers drafted, you know, stumbled across, I mean, not stumbled, there's a lot of work that goes into it, but we're lucky enough to land Casey Hayward and Micah Hyde. And it's kind of this whole philosophy the team has of you should like retain your homegrown players and they didn't. And so I think a lot of people have been frustrated because they felt like there was a chance to have the secondary kind of like not maybe take as much of a step back as it did. And money is the thing that got in the way, which if you're, you know, not really using free agency and, and try, now they are, but you know, then you're trying to just keep your players that, you know, kind of defeating the whole point. But that point aside, um, I really love that you brought up what they're doing with the the front seven, because I think that um, it's, you know, it's, it's a tale as old as time, but I think we, we forget about it sometimes, even though it's such a fundamental that like the best thing you can do for your secondary is to have a strong front seven, because if they're doing their jobs lights out, it just takes so much of the pressure off of your secondary. And I think what we've seen is, I mean, even looking at the, obviously the 2010 Super Bowl defense was like, you know, the best, the be and even the year after that, I think they were still top 10, I think in pass and run stop, um, if I remember correctly. That was the prior year, 2011, they were the worst defense in the <laughs> oh, NFL. Oh, right, 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 right. Um, and so like, you know, it, you're not getting back to that level, obviously, but um, I think that, inside linebacker has clearly been a deficit for this team for years and years that they've just been unable to address for whatever reason. And, and I think that's hurt a lot. Um, and, you know, with the pass rush, like that's sort of what we were talking about earlier um, with Rashawn Gary is just this idea that like, you have to keep a strength of strength. And if your pass rush is suffering, your secondary is going to suffer too. So I think that this year, given what we're seeing with the Smith bros and what we're seeing up front and given that we've got a lot of guys in the secondary now who are sort of expecting to take that next step and to take that jump. Um, it could all congeal to the gross word. It could all kind of like come together and just really be this, this magical dare I say it like 2010 year where they're just firing on all cylinders. I mean, it, they certainly on paper have the talent, 
Um, the big caveat and the thing that's heartbreaking for so many fans of really great sports teams right now is that we have no idea, like it could all be for naught or it's a weird season. Like one player gets sick and all of a sudden the whole thing falls apart. But on paper, it's, it's really all there. And so there are about a million different variables that could, you know, keep them from, from contending, but it's, you know, they've got what they need theoretically. It's, it's just kind of execute. Yeah. yeah. We're talking about floors and ceilings and yeah. there's always a million variables in a football season anyways, yeah. add in COVID-19 and that adds like, I mean, we've said it a million times on this show, Jason, you're one cotton swab away from knock on wood, Zedaria Smith sitting for two weeks or, you know, how, I don't know exactly how the protocols work, how many positives they need, or excuse me, negative tests they need once they have a positive. Um, I can only speak to what the rule is in my job, which is you need to have two negatives 24 hours apart. I don't know how long that would take, but with daily testing, I suppose maybe they could get back a little faster after a positive. Um, but it, it remains to be seen. So Jason, I apologize, but I just wanted to throw that point in there. Well, and Zadarius is a part of that culture on defense. And I think that's that that's what's going to help these guys maybe make what you said come true, Michelle, is that's that's there's a lot to be said about the 2010 team and how tight they were. And I think with Zadarius and Preston Smith and and the way that everybody responds to them, it's and you add Jerry Gray to that mix too. There's there's a chance that this defense could be great. So Sanjay of the Freezer podcast jumps in here, wants to make sure to say hello to you, Michelle. Says go go blues first and foremost. Oh God. But he wants to know, <laughs> he wants to know if Chanted Sullivan is going to beat out Josh Jackson while we're on the topic of cornerback for and I guess you know for me, Chanted Sullivan, it seems like would be your de facto slot guy, if Josh is going to move outside, maybe they're on the field at the same time. And maybe that's your answer. Yeah. Um, first of all, I feel like I should boycott this question because <laughs> I'm still suffering from so my husband's a blues fan and like watching the Stanley cup finals last year in this household, it's a miracle. I'm still married, but that being said, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily know looking at position battles that that's a mutually exclusive proposition. I think, Right now, um, and this, I kind of change this daily, but my current thinking on the roster is that they're going to keep maybe six corners and it's going to be Alexander King, Sullivan, Jackson, Hallman, and Samuels, who's kind of like a late bloomer addition. Um, so I don't, I don't think that necessarily, um, like you said, I, I could see situations that they're both on the field at the same time and all the better for the Packers because I think they both bring strengths that you don't necessarily want to subtract from the equation. Right. Good, Jason. Thank you for adding <laughs> I thought there was going to be more to that. So. Expert color analyses. No, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, I think they're going to have a decent amount of cornerbacks. And I think the nice part is, I think Andy Herman talked about this when I spoke with him a little while ago. Of They kind of have a, a guy for any kind of skill set. You're facing a big, big receiver like that. Okay, we've got Kevin King. Okay, you need somebody who's with a little smaller and twitchier type. We've got Jair Alexander for that. I wonder if at some point, if Josh Jackson is really good, for example, something they could do in their dime package is put Alexander and Sullivan in their slots with Jackson and King on the outside. I think that's something they might play with a little bit as well. So I'll be interested to see that. Um, defense is boring. I think that uh, every Packer fan here obviously wants to talk about the offense and everything we talk about starts with QB. Oh, the mirror thing happened again. QB one. Number 12, Aaron Rodgers. And uh, the first question I have to ask you, because when they 
regardless of what the Packers say, when you trade up for a quarterback who's a raw project from Utah State, you're saying something about how you feel about your quarterback situation for the next two or three years. My question is, obviously, Rodgers isn't putting up gaudy numbers. He hasn't played like an MVP since 2017 before he broke his collarbone. Do you think that it's a case of maybe a perfect storm of things? He played on a broken leg for the majority of 2018. Him and Mike McCarthy, that had obviously run their course. Last year, he's playing in a new offense with, let's call it a limited weapon base. Mm -hmm. Is it that, or does he have some skills that are eroding and maybe the Packers are starting to see that before all of us are willing to acknowledge it maybe before all of us are. Yeah. So I think, I mean, ultimately, you know, people really don't like to think about it this way, but the Packers are business first and foremost, and they're trying at the end of the day, you know, to protect their franchise and their investment. So I think the answer lies in Aaron Rodgers contract, which when you look at it, you know, yes, you can say he's under contract till 2024, in his mind, I think that he's staying with the team until 2024, you know, God forbid any injuries or anything. But when you look at the structure of the contract, like, you know, it would never happen. But let's say like he got injured in training camp and Jordan Love blew everyone away and they were just like, you know what, we're done. So his dead cap this year is 51 million, which is insane. And next year it's 31 million. So he's not going anywhere until at least 2022. I I would, you know, bet a lot of money on that. But 2022 they have an out built into his contract where he'd only have 17 million dead cap hit. And I think given that that's the way they structured his contract, it makes a lot of sense then to think that they wanted to take this draft to get who they think or believe might be his heir apparent. And if he develops at the rate that they want and they give him, you know, a, a solid two years playing under Rogers um, by 2022, when they have that first potential out in his contract, I think that's when they, I think that's the first opportunity they see to make that transition happen. Rogers knows that too, obviously, because he knows the way his contract is structured. I think it would still be pretty messy at that point if it was only two years away. Obviously, that would mean that Rogers isn't ending his career in a Packers jersey. And I think that's what everyone wants for him, even though it's so, you know, I mean, even Tom Brady, like if there was anyone I thought would end their career in their, you know, iconic jersey, it'd be Tom Brady. So you know, that's that's kind of the, the business and the, and the contract side of it. Playing wise, um, you know, Matt LaFleur, part of his kind of pedigree and selling point is that he is supposed to be this quarterback whisperer. And, you know, you look at some of what he's done. Um, he had some really great talent, you know, in the Falcons and the Rams. And, you know, Marcus Mariota, I think, gets kind of a bad rap. I'm like weirdly in my office, like the Marcus Mariota stand, which like, it's not that I'm Okay, love. we can have that discussion later because I yeah. think he stinks. So it's not like I have like stats or, or, you know, when you, when you dig into the numbers, they're not great. It, it, it's sort of like a Jay Cutler thing where like, you can't stop thinking about the potential, even though the reality is staring you in the face. But anyways, that's getting off topic. Matt LaFleur, I think, the way his quarterbacks have performed, um, the way Mariota performed, like isn't necessarily an indictment on LaFleur's um, scheming and uh, system. And, you know, with Rodgers, I think the whole point, you know, they sort of started to do this under McCarthy, but especially with LaFleur, like LaFleur's whole offense in its entirety is based on this idea that run plays and pass plays start out looking the same. And it can morph into either one 
and there's a lot of, you know, the run game almost takes precedence. And you can look at some stats and you can look at some film and say, oh, well, Aaron Rodgers is regressing. Maybe it's just that Aaron Rodgers is running the Matt LaFleur version of this offense where he's really relying on the running backs more. We all love to see him roll out and throw across his body, uh, you know, 60 yards into the end zone. But like that's it's it's great when Aaron Rodgers doesn't have to throw the ball when both of his feet are off the ground across his body. Like we love to see it, but that's not something you should ever scheme for. So, you know, I think that we need to I think it's fair to, to think that maybe his arm and maybe the injuries have, have started to wear his body down. Um, his mind obviously is as sharp as ever. And I think we just need to, when we evaluate Aaron Rodgers, it's not to say that we can't ever criticize him, but I think that we need to do it within the framework of what this offense ideally looks like now. And that's maybe not what we're used to seeing. That was as beautiful of a transition as I could possibly have. <laughs> Jake, you seem like you had something to add. I, I did because the thing that I thought of immediately, and I can't, this is the question I should have asked first though, because when we talked about it, you know, this, not this time, but uh, last year after December 2nd, we're talking about who the next head coach is going to be. And a lot of people had, you know, Josh McDaniels or a, you know, a defensive minded head coach to maybe kind of just let Aaron run the offense. And to your credit, Michelle, you said Matt LaFleur. And what I want to know is I want to go back into maybe that time frame because at the time, Lafleur had obviously been connected with the right guys. That's the phrase Mike Mc or, uh, Mark, Mark Murphy used with Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay. But he was on a Titans offense at the time that finished in the bottom third of the league in terms of production. So what was it? Because that's the hardest thing, I think. I think you know the conversations I had when they hired Lafleur was – the same as what I would say is I don't really have an expectation. He's an offensive assistant. I've never seen him be a head coach. I have no idea if it's a good hire or not. That's why I think good hire, bad hire is unless it's like Jim Tom Sula, then where it's very obvious that's not going to work, especially after having a, a nail spitter like Jim Harbaugh before that, that's just like the, a really bad transition between those two. But unless you've seen that person be a head coach, you have no idea if it's a good hire or not. What was it that stuck out to you to say, nope, that's the guy I want the Packers to hire? Yeah, so in a weird way, the uh, failures of the 2018 Tennessee Titans, I think, are what gave us Matt LaFleur. If the Tennessee Titans hadn't finished 25th in total offense and 29th in passing offense, I don't think the Packers are able to get Matt LaFleur because I think he would have been one of the hottest candidates on the market and everyone would have wanted him. Um, so I think, you know, he was obviously kind of the dark horse candidate. Um, I never thought it would be McDaniels because, you know, McCarthy's offense has gotten stale and he hasn't really, um, progressed, I think at the level you want from an NFL coach, but I think it's pretty clear to see that one of the biggest reasons he was ousted is that he and Aaron Rodgers were just butting heads and, and clashing and talk about clashing personality types. Josh McDaniels and Aaron Rodgers would have been a disaster. And so just based on that alone, I didn't think there was any way that they would bring such a um, potentially explosive head coach into what was already kind of like a simmering pot of a situation. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, LaFleur, obviously, time will bear out whether the Shanahan coaching tree uh, really is kind of this, you know, uh, 
total like dynamic game green coaching game. tree yeah yeah um uh i think you know we've kind of simmered down on the like oh my god this guy like once shook hands with sean McVay uh <laughs> situation but you know i mean the 49ers were in the super bowl the rams continue to be contenders um and so your husband made you say that <laughs> no, I, I have a soft spot for the Rams. It's you know the Seahawks and the the Giants that I really don't like very much. But anyways, um, no. So I I think that um, you know obviously I, that alone you you look at the tenets of kind of that Shanahan West Coast offense and you you find that they work very well with Aaron Rodgers and you look at what Lafleur was able to do with Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff, and Matt Ryan. Um, you know, he, you don't, I don't think a lot of people like think Matt Ryan, Matt LaFleur, um, but, you know, he, uh, he was in Atlanta and, and a lot of people, when he got the opportunity to go to Los Angeles, I think a lot of people were like, well, the Falcons just let him go. So how good could he be? But I think the Falcons knew he was ready. Oh God, I'm going to make another pun to spread his wings. <laughs> I did not mean to make a bird pun. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, you know, the, every, all the knocks against him were just like inexperienced, sure, but the young coach is, is the new du jour, you know, trend in the NFL. And the fact that the Falcons let him go, that doesn't mean that he's not great. It, it might have just meant that they were ready to move on. Um, so I think ultimately when you look at uh, the way the Titans offense did that year, so much of it was just that they lost Delaney Walker in week one and he was kind of Mariota's like uh, parachute and without him, the offense kind of just fell apart. Um, they really didn't have a lot of, of passing weapons outside of Delaney Walker, you know, Corey Davis, um, Taewon Taylor. Um, their so, best receiver last year was a guy they just drafted. So, I mean, AJ Brown's awesome, but that says something about the previous year's weapons. Yeah. I think ultimately what the organization was able to see in the floor was that he was holding potentially a golden ticket in his playbook and his ideas. And he had just never gotten the personnel to really see it play out. And they felt like it was a perfect marriage of like, you've got the blueprints and we've got what would, I don't know, what would the, opposite of that be the machinery the whatever you've got the blueprints we've got the the product you know when we put them together it's it's what we want so ultimately um it was really a perfect marriage it was someone who had what looked to be like the hottest new offense in the nfl and a team that had maybe the best quarterback in the league and a lot of supporting weapons who were about ready to to kind of step up so we've talked about Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers now, and we think of, think about the Packers offense, which Jacob mentioned earlier, everyone wants to talk about because of all the changes and all of the personnel that the Packers have put into the offense. There's been a lot of hype around Josiah DeGuara and what he's going to do. Tyler Urban's taking reps at wide receiver. Jay Sternberger's prime for a breakout season. You've got the wide receiver battle the running back situation, AJ Dillon and his thighs, AJ, AJ Dillon's uh, legs or AJ Dillon's thighs. Twitter account is following me now. I'm so excited. <laughs> You've made but, it. But when we talk about the Packers offense, mm -hmm. what is the key to unlocking the offense in your eyes? Is it Matt LaFleur and his system? Is it, is it the quarterback? I mean, what's it going to take for this offense to be everything? I think that everybody kind of hopes that it's going to be in 2020. Yeah. So first of all, I think the, the kind of scary thing about this offense this year, 
just given what we've seen traditionally from the Packers, who have kept six or even seven wide receivers some years, is I don't see how they keep more than five this year because they have so many players that they need to keep now at running back and tight end. So if they have, you know, Jones, Williams, Dylan, and Irvin running back, and if they've got Lewis, Sternberger, Tanyan, and Dugara at tight end, that only leaves five, in my eyes, five wide receivers. And I'm thinking it's some combination of, you know, Adams, Lazard, uh, Valdez, Scantling, St. Brown, and then Funches. Um, but I think actually at wide receiver, I think a lot of this hinges on MVS. Um, this is the year that I think he needs to break out. If they can have like a big three again, who can be reliably counted on um, that. And I think Lazard, we are all already assuming is, is there. But I think really when you look at it, when you look at the Matt LaFleur offense, and like we were saying before, the idea that this offense is so predicated on the run and is so predicated on the idea that all of your plays, it, it, they look so simple. And the idea is that even though they look simple, they're not easy to defend because there's you know so many different ways you could go with all these plays that start out looking the same. I think that means it all hinges on the running backs. And when you've got you know Jones, Williams, Dylan, uh, I think that ultimately what they want is for Jones and Dylan to be able to be three down backs who are, you know, not rotating anyone in on third down always, but maybe having like Jones and Dylan be alternating drives and just like carrying full drives. And then if you have like the Packers in the red zone and you've got like Sternberger on one hand, like you've got you know, obviously Devontae Adams and then you have Jones or Dylan like who can stop that who can you know prevent them from getting it in even at the three yard line the two yard line like you've got jones or dylan you're i, I don't know what defense is, is going to be thrilled yeah, by that to pick your, to pick your poison scenario right. For that. right um and so i think actually you know i think with with dylan people were like oh like boston college like what is this he wasn't really used as a receiver in college and i think one of the most interesting things um and that's i don't want to uh Spoil anything, but I think we were going to talk about who like our guy of the summer is, and so because that's basically what I'm talking about now, um, I'll just basically talk about the fact that it's Dylan. And um, I think you know, I like this idea that um, there might be something to unlock in him that no one's really seen before. Like that's obviously very exciting. And um, Gudekinst and uh, one of the scouts, Mike Owen, both said they felt Dylan had more to offer as a receiver than his collegiate stats would otherwise indicate. So um, I, I don't know. It's, it kind of gives me chills. Like I'm like this. This could be a player that we haven't even seen what he can do. And, and if he fits into this offense like the puzzle piece they think he is, it could be unbelievable. Yeah, and I think that's that's what, what everyone's excited about is all the changes and and making sense of the 2020 draft because of all the question marks. I mean, everybody, the love pick we talked about already, we've been over that already. And then when Dylan was the pick in round two, I think it is safe to say that there weren't many that saw that coming. And there were plenty of questions about that. And all the analysts came out and were grading the draft and the Packers did not grade well, but it could turn out to be, listen, they had a plan, they had a vision. And if it all comes to, to, what it should be to fruition. This could actually end up in hindsight being one of the better drafts. And then legacies are formed by these types of things. If, if it all works out and especially if Jordan love is able to, to carry the torch when Aaron Rodgers eventually moves on in green Bay. 
Yeah, that's definitely your uh, legacy pick, if you will, if you're Brian Gutekunst. Uh, mm-hmm. I like the the Dylan idea. It must be something about our our dark haired female hosts here that we have because they love Maggie Loney, Michelle <laughs> Bouton. They love AJ Dylan. So I'm excited yeah. to see him on the field as well. Um, I think it was KB on Ento tackled him in open space today in practice. So he should make the team if nothing else for that reason alone. Right, uh, right. Sounds like a good one for me. But, you know, the potential here I like of Jones and Dylan is their styles complement each other so well. And even, and I thought Jamal Williams, big B shout out, that his style complemented Aaron Jones as well. But Dylan's really does. And you can tell Matt LaFleur is really excited. You can really tell when Matt LaFleur likes a, a prospect. I've made the joke all summer that Josiah DeGuara is the one that Matt LaFleur had a, had a draft crush on very similar yeah. to the way that he used to glow about Elton Jenkins. That's how he talks about Josiah DeGuara. But yeah. AJ Dillon is another guy like that. This is a guy who coached Derrick Henry and said, we've never seen a running back built like that. Will that translate on the field that remains to be seen. Uh, so you mentioned who your guy is real quick. Uh, I like what you talked about as far as MVS as well. And you want to talk about the Packers haven't had a consistent deep threat since prime Jordy in 2014. I don't think it's coincidental that their offense has kind of not been the same since that time frame. So if he can be the guy, that's a big summer for him. Who's somebody that we haven't talked about offense or defense that you think could be a, a bigger key that maybe isn't being discussed as much for the team going into their season. Yeah, um, I guess the the player I would bring up, you know, we talked about how defense is a little bit boring, but Kamal Martin, um, you know, in this inside linebacker battle, we just talked about how inside linebacker has been kind of this, um, you know, deficient group for them for a long time. And now they've got this, um, you know, position battle going on and of the guys kind of duking it out, um, the fifth round pick, Martin is the only rookie in the fray. Um, and you can tell that the organization really likes him. LaFleur said he was long and athletic, and Gudikin said he was dynamic. Um, and this is a guy who, you know, during all of the, the prep work and all the Zoom meetings, like, you can really tell right off the bat who's going to be dedicated and who's going to slack off. And he came in, he knew, you know, the entire scheme. Um, he uh, is someone who's just been really enthusiastic. And then finally, they get on the field, um, and, you know, he, he got through DeGuara, who was the lead blocker, like nothing. And then he broke through again to take down Crockett. So we've already seen him making moves. Um, and so ultimately, you know, we look at that group and unfortunately I feel kind of bad because Curtis Bolton is out on pup, but I think that that's probably the odd man out when you've got, you know, Kirksey, Burks and Summers. Interesting. Um, I, I enjoy the Kamal Martin idea there as well. I, I, you know, that's a Christian Kirksey's kind of a, a popular name, obviously at the position he's the veteran, um, but he has had some injury issues obviously as well. But uh, it sounds like the Packers really do feel like they've upgraded in the middle. And that's not a slight to Blake Martinez, even if it sounds like one, she's Michelle Bruton. You can catch her all over the place. Like she mentioned earlier, Packers wire draft wire and a writer of books. So did you write anything that's written behind you? That's my first question that I want to know. So I'm actually an editor of books. Um, I'm still looking to write my first book, which I would love to do, but uh, my full-time job always, there was, you know, a year in 2018 that I was writing full-time and actually did not like it and went back to editing full-time. Writing is something I like to do kind of on my own. Um, but my full-time job is I'm a book editor at Triumph Books in Chicago, 
Um, we do lots of Packers books. Most of these books behind me um, are Triumph books. I think one of our um, most recent books is one called Big 50 Green Bay Packers, um, which is like a nice little collection of essays um, about the Packers. Uh, yeah, I will. Um, I haven't been doing as much Packers writing lately, which people um, who follow me on Twitter probably know. But I am going to have, um, as part of Stan Sided's uh, NFL season preview, I'm doing the Packers article. And it's basically just a deep dive on Aaron Rodgers. Um, so that'll be coming out probably uh, next week, I think. Well, if you ever want to write a weekly column or something like that, I think I know a site that might have one for you. <laughs> so I'll have my people yeah. call your people. Yeah, Otherwise, right. Michelle, thank you for coming. I appreciate you being here. And we look forward to talking to you again after the Packers win this season's Super Bowl. How about that? Sounds great. Thanks for having me back. Thanks so much, Michelle. That is Michelle Bruton, and she can be found all over the place. Uh, like we just mentioned, feel free to follow some of her stuff uh, like we've got going here, Triumph Books, and I'll throw her Twitter handle up here one more time. That is Michelle Bruton, uh, at Michelle Bruton, on the tweet machine, so catch that. Jason, we have some orders of business to follow here. We have finally the Kenny Clark giveaway. So Thank you to everybody, first of all, who've entered. What I'm going to do now is share my screen so this can be as authentic as possible. So if you guys are, uh, forgive me here a little bit if this is a little difficult, but here is everybody that has entered our drawing and it goes from number one to number 348. So we have every drawing in. Thank you to our social media team for helping put this together. Uh, we are appreciative of that. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to go to a random number generator right here. We have the minimum of one, obviously, and the maximum, like I just mentioned, is going to be 348. And drum roll, everybody. Our number is 298. So number 298 on my spreadsheet here is escaping me. Jacob. See a body, Jacob. See a body. I apologize if I butchered that completely, but we could will be contact, body. Could be. Uh, we will contact you on Twitter uh, and find the way. But you are the lucky winner of the Kenny Clark giveaway. If you missed out this time around, do not worry. That is not the last giveaway we will do. We will talk about more of those as they go along here. But thank you guys for participating in that. That was a lot of fun. I believe Jason, we had something else as well. We have another. Very special guest for Wednesday's version. Oh, so cool. Of Lombardi's Bar. And hit the number. Elton Jenkins. Elton Jenkins will be joining the guys on Wednesday night in the bar. Same place that has gone to Jamal Williams, Kenny Clark, uh, Ethan Bacon, which if you missed that interview yesterday, make sure you check those. It's been a lot of fun on that getting all these guys in here and just being able to talk about some of their stories and stuff like that. Like I mentioned, the Ethan Bacon stuff from yesterday, he's got some really cool things on his Aaron Rodgers documentary as well as the Mac fund guys for the rest of this week too. So that is Wednesday night tomorrow, our double header, double barrel action, happy hour and the freezer podcast, uh, the girls, Maggie and Perry, Maggie Loney, Perry Goldstein, they will go around six o'clock and the guys will follow right after 7, 7.15, kind of depending on that time frame as well. Jason, we've got the Quick Slants podcast coming up again this week as well. What are you talking about? Can you give us a little preview? 
Yeah. So I'm going to just continue to talk about what's happening at training camp and then any, any breaking news that goes on. And, and I might talk a little bit about some additional moves that the Packers could make before the beginning of the season that we may not be thinking about right now. There you go. So a few things that they could make and moves that we're not necessarily thinking or talking about. So I'll be interested to listen to that. It's a fun listen every week, guys. And it really is just a quick 20 minutes. That's the reason quicks in the name in honor of Michelle. I suppose we can use a few puns uh, towards the end here. here Next week, Jimmy Christensen and I go on our foray. Ladies and gentlemen, the logo on this hat right here will be on my body. I'm not decided where just yet, uh, nor is Jimmy. Jimmy, please don't say where because I'm afraid of what. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't want to know. Uh, let's just put it that way. But Jimmy will be down here. We'll try and document that as much as possible, uh, but we'll enjoy that. And then Sunday we have the great Bryce Christensen of the unknown Packers podcast. He's been on the show before, but as we mentioned during the mega show, we kind of felt like we owed him one because during his segment of the mega show, we unexpectedly had Vernon Scott drop in. And when Vernon Scott drops in, you sit there and you talk about Vernon Scott more than Bryce. So we look forward to him. The Unknown Packers podcast is a friend of the show. As always, guys, like we've mentioned several times before, go to our Facebook page, Game On Wisconsin. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Game On Wisconsin. The uh, Instagram is the same, Game On Wisconsin. And follow us on Twitter at Game On WI. That's where you find a majority of our giveaways, our plans for the week, and everything of that sort. You could follow me personally if you'd like. I am at Jacob Westendorf. You can follow Jason. He's at Jason Perone. Paul's not here, and that makes us sad, but he'll be back next week, and we will have him. He is at Paul underscore Brettel. That is where you will be able to find him and everything that you need as far as your Packers-related needs. Guys, and Jason, real quick, anything before we sign off that we haven't talked about, uh, three weeks from today is opening day, so that's exciting. There it is right there. The countdown is on and it's under 30. That's the most important thing. We're in the month for the month. Not technically because we're not in September yet, but when we're less than 30 days out, that's that gets really exciting. And it's also exciting for us because that means our famous annual tradition, our season preview show is right around the corner as well. That's right. And once we hammer out and completely finalize the date, we will make sure that we tell you guys about that. But what you'll do, our season preview show, we pick all 16 Packers games and have our playoffs and Super Bowl picks and everything like that. So that will take place as well. A lot of fun, a lot of good things still to come here. Thank you guys that have followed along. Thank you to those of you that were in the chat. Big B, you're right. Jamal Williams is the goat, the goat. Steve, thank you for coming in real quick. Uh, I, we should probably get to this. Just some thoughts on the touchdown regression versus Adams. I think that's probably about right. Aaron Jones, not going to score 23 touchdowns again. Devante will probably score a few more and it'll all work out well because the Packers offense. Thank you to Dr. Pepper uh, for jumping in. I will uh, appreciate you always stopping by, and I look forward to seeing all you guys. Sanjay, thanks for joining into the chat. We love hearing from you guys. Looking forward to the freezer tomorrow. Everyone that was in the chat, everyone that talked, everyone that joined our giveaways, I look forward to doing more of that stuff for you guys. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, I appreciate everything. I really can't say that enough. So thank you guys for listening, and we will see you next time.